Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. This is episode 10, our mid-month episode for February 2016. Well, welcome back, everybody, and I want to say a huge thank you for joining me today because it is episode number 10. We did it. We hit double digits. I'm so excited. I hope you're excited, too, but I'm certainly really excited. Uh, last spring and summer when I was starting to, to think about and plan for, dream about, pray about what kind of podcast I could produce, uh, what might be of worth and of value to ministry leaders, preachers, teachers, communicators, people just interested in these kinds of things, I, I wanted to put together something that would be helpful. And when you're in that planning process, and even when you're just recording and editing and uploading the first couple episodes, episode 10, double digits, it just seems so far away. And so it's really exciting to hit that today. And I'm glad that you're here with me. And whether you've been uh, with us just the last couple of episodes, or whether you've been here from the beginning, episode number one with McGray DeVega back right before Advent, I really hope that this podcast has uh, been a resource for you. I hope that it's been helpful. If nothing else, I hope that you've heard other preachers and teachers talk about things that make you say, you know what, me too, I feel you, I hear you, I have those questions, I have those doubts, I have those struggles, or I have those celebrations, I have those mountaintop moments, and I can identify, I understand, I know where you're coming from. And if you wouldn't mind, uh, maybe in a small act of celebrating the first 10 episodes, would you mind maybe tweeting me at Art of the Sermon, or jumping on facebook.com slash Art of the Sermon, or even our show notes at artofthesermon.com? Would you tweet me or leave a comment on the show notes letting me know what in the first 10 episodes has been meaningful? Meaningful to you, uh, whether there was a guest that you really resonated with, or there was maybe a quote or a topic, or even just a question that was asked that has uh, really made an impact on you. Would you let me know? It will help me evaluate the first ten episodes. It'll also help me plan for the future, and hopefully, we have lots more episodes to come. So, if you could do that today, that would be really helpful. Maybe tomorrow. I know you'll probably forget about it if it gets too far away. So, remember, tweet me at Art of the Sermon. Maybe leave a comment on the show notes at artofthesermon.com. And now I don't know about you, but it feels like Advent and Christmas were just a couple of weeks ago, and yet here we are at the beginning of Lent. Now, I'm, I'm looking out the window as I record. This actually looks more like Christmas today than it did on Christmas, because my wife and I went back to Florida to visit family, and it was 85 degrees and sunny, and we were literally lounging by the pool. And yet today I look out the window, and it's snowing, which is crazy to me having grown up in Florida. It is snowing outside. But it doesn't matter how busy or how restful, how good or how frustrating your January and early February has been, we are in the season of Lent. Of course, a week ago, Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, and if you're the regular weekend preacher, you've probably already given your first Lent sermon. If you lead a small group, maybe you kicked off a new book or a new set of curriculum, or maybe you're the associate pastor sitting on the bench waiting for your at-bat, and it's going to come up somewhere in the middle of Lent week, like three, four, or five, but I just want you to know that I'll be praying for you during this season of Lent, that you'll keep your focus up, that you'll keep your energy up, that you'll be able to find the time to do the personal work of Lent. Remember, you need to experience Lent, not just lead it. You need to be a part of it too, but I'll pray too that you keep your health. This is certainly a time of year where colds and flus get around and you need to be able to have your voice and and have your all your abilities about you to lead your congregation. Of course, as we build up to Easter, Resurrection Sunday, such a great celebration, but I'll be praying for you and your ministries during the season. And now perhaps one of the reasons for me that January seemed to fly by was that I was traveling in and out of town, and one of those trips was a 10-day trip to the Holy Land. And let me tell you, if you ever get the chance to go to Israel, 
take it. It is an incredible experience to walk where Jesus walked, to see the sights of the Old and New Testament, to, to just be places, to even just sit on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and imagine all of the things that happened here, all of the incredible things that happened on this water, on this shore, to walk the Via Dolorosa in Jerusalem. It is an incredible experience. And especially if you go with a tour group, it's going to be safe. It's going to be a great experience. I encourage you to look into it. Now, it's certainly an investment. It's an investment of time because you you want enough days to see all the sites. It's an investment of energy. You're going to be a little jet lagged when you get back, and it can certainly be an investment of money. But let me tell you, if you're a pastor or a ministry leader, there are ways for you to go for reduced costs or even free. The tour group we went with offers pastors the chance to go for free if they bring people from their congregation. So if you're interested in that, you can contact me. I don't have an affiliate link. I'm not going to be like making a commission off you going. I just want you to know it is an incredible uh, experience that will pay back the investment uh, a hundredfold, even just in the week since I've been home. I've read the scriptures in a new way. I have been reading through First and Second Kings and and reading about places that I visited, reading about the golden calf set up at the tribe of Dan on the very northern edge of the kingdom of Israel. I stood on the very place where that golden calf was standing. I now have a mental picture that is going to stick with me. It makes the scriptures come alive and feel so real. But the reason I bring this up is because one of the people that was on the trip with me was this month's podcast guest, Reverend Brian. Brian Johnson from Tomoki United Methodist Church in Ormond Beach, Florida. And we took advantage of a little bit of free time that we had while on our trip. And so from a hotel room overlooking the Sea of Galilee, here is more with Reverend Brian Johnson. I am very excited to have back to the podcast Reverend Brian Johnson. Even though you just heard his interview a couple weeks ago, we actually did it last summer. Uh, you were my trial recording for the podcast, and so even though you were the first interview that we did, uh, we went ahead and released <laughs> your interview, the latest of all the initial interviews, and last month in January, we interviewed Reverend Sarah Heath, and that was my longest distance conversation. Uh, I was on the East Coast, she was on the West Coast. This is my shortest distance conversation That's because right. we are literally sitting in the same room right. right across from each other. Um, however, distance-wise, this one knocks it out of the park because you and I are sitting in a hotel room overlooking the Sea of Galilee. That's right, 6,000 miles from home. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so uh, this podcast episode probably sounds a little bit different to you. That's because I'm not using the professional setup that I've got at home. This is uh, the travel rig. We are both on a trip to the Holy Land with uh, colleagues of ours from the Florida mm-hmm. Conference of the Methodist Church. And we do want to thank Bishop Carter and all of those thank Florida you, Methodists that raised the money for us. It's a free trip for us. And so uh, any of you listening out there want to be pastors in Florida, you should... Uh, Come on down, get ordained, and then you can go to the Holy Land. It's been fun. So, real quick, just thumbnail sketch. How have you have you enjoyed the trip to the Holy Land so far? It's been amazing. I mean, um, the ability to just sit here and and podcast, looking at the Sea of Galilee, is is it's amazing. I mean, um, I'm working on my Facebook post for this today. We've been talking in our church about um, the Syrian conflict, and we saw Syria today, and we saw an explosion today. You posted on your Facebook about that. Yeah, and. Uh, I mean, I was pretty passionate about it, but when you look over and you can see it and you think there's there's families over there, uh, it just brings it home in a whole new way. Yeah. Um, but then to just be able to walk around the Sea of Galilee and to see all the places that Jesus walked and did ministry and to think like he actually sat here and lived here, it, it's it's phenomenal. So 
Uh, it's been amazing. That's right. We, we finished our day today. Uh, today is the beginning of the Sabbath. It's a Friday, and so it's Friday afternoon. Things are beginning to shut down around here. And we ended our day uh, in the afternoon up on the cliff of Arbel. And it was a, it, is, it is a cliff that overlooks the route that Jesus would have walked from Capernaum, which is his hometown, to Nazareth, which is where he grew up. And he would have made that trip at least a couple times. And uh, we all said we can imagine... Uh, as Jesus was making that walk, wanting to come up on that cliff and maybe even bring the disciples up there for a picnic. So uh, even though that's not a huge uh, historical, biblical archaeology spot, it's certainly a place that feels like Jesus might have hung out once or twice. I got to thinking he challenged Peter to step out of the boat in water, and we don't have any stories of him challenging them to take a step off of faith, very Indiana Jones style. <laughs> yeah. yeah, leap of faith is a little different, I guess, than, yeah, a little than bit. walking on water. A little bit. Well, we uh, had a conversation <clears throat> with you, and the reason that I'm bringing you back, we don't normally get to do a second interview with the guests from yeah. our podcast, but the reason that I'm bringing you back is because our conversation centered around your transition from associate pastor to senior pastor, but because we did it last summer, you had only been on the job for a couple months, and so mm-hmm. obviously you had had quite a transition already. You had things on your mind. You had issues that you were working through making that transition. And I was wondering now, nine months later, now that you've been at the church for a while, uh, or seven months later, six, seven months later, um, how the transition has gone. So maybe generally speaking, mm-hmm. how are you feeling as far as the fit between you and the church? Because I know it was a it was a difficult transition at first, going from an urban downtown church yeah. uh, to a, a coastal beach church mm-hmm. that had a lot of retirees. How are you, how yeah. are you feeling about that? Well, it's funny when you said that. When you said senior pastor, immediately that didn't register in my head, and, <laughs> and it actually took a second or two to realize, like, oh, he's still talking about me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, for so long I've lived in the associate role and tried to embrace that fully. Um, so to live in the senior pastor role sometimes it still doesn't quite feel like it's there. Um, but you're right; it's been six months. Uh, the people there have been very generous. They've been very willing to allow me to um, to just kind of find my own way. I think they understand that this is my first shot as a senior pastor. Um, It's a strong church in terms of lay leaders. Uh, There's a lot of people who will just go and do stuff. And like you said, because they are retirees, um, they're the ones who are doing a lot of things during the day in terms of the upkeep of the church, uh, the finances. Uh, It's been a good transition for us as a family because uh, I just have the freedom to to choose my schedule. Mm. And, And starting off... I'm so glad I started the way I did. I started very intentionally, um, a little more scaled back because I was afraid that if I went in too quick with, here's what I'm going to do, here's my schedule, that it would just continue to creep. You know, you, you get that. Sure, yeah. Um, so you set the expectation bar really high. Exactly. Coming in, exactly. starting strong. They they kind of joke around in seminary. Don't preach your best sermon the first <laughs> Sunday at a new church, because <laughs> then that's where the bar is going to be set. Yeah. Actually, you know, we're talking about preaching. I yeah. had a hard time. Uh, I don't know how to not preach. I'm going to say it this way. I don't know how to not preach a good sermon. Not that every sermon I have is like over the, over the field, right, over right, the fence. Right. But like, I don't know how to get up there and just kind of give it like 75%. Sure. You know? Um, and especially, I started off with a series called What Makes a Great Church and allowed it to be really open-ended. I did it on the book of Philippians. I got the idea of that sermon series from another book and then picked Philippians. And it really worked well because I could talk about what made the Philippian church great? Here's, uh, I think we did six weeks. Here's six things that really made them great. And as I was learning the church, I could kind of pull in and say, hey, I've heard in your history that you guys um, really served the community well, and, and so did this church in Philippians. And 
Um, and, and what makes a great church is they dealt with conflict. And at this church, and I've kind of cast vision and say, at this church, we're going to deal with conflict. Mm. So if I do something or when I do something you don't like, I want you to come to me and tell me. And it was very kind of freeing for me to be able to stand up and say, here are my expectations of you and, and your expectations of me. Uh, and to do that through the preaching was, was, was really kind of powerful. People connected with that series a lot. Yeah, as we were wandering the little shops last night around the Sea of Galilee, you mentioned uh, how you've tried to be intentional about setting expectations for your church. I think sometimes we can fear, especially in sermons, to get up in the pulpit and say, I expect of you, because it maybe reinforces a stereotype mm. of the church wanting things of its people. But can you talk a little bit about what that setting of expectations has been like. Mm. Did you include it uh, in sermons, or did you have other ways that you communicated it? And I, I guess, how did you work it in, mm-hmm. into sermons as you were laying the groundwork? That's good. I actually haven't really brought it directly into a sermon yet. Um, but, I mean, if you can picture as you're listening kind of a, a quadrant or, or a four-square court, and, and the idea that in, in different quadrants, what, I, what I'm trying to do is to keep in, in an upper quadrant high expectations um, and kind of high responsibility. That is not mine. Someone else came up sure. with this. Um, because what I've seen, even as an associate, is when you when you expect a lot of people, and when you have um, when you entrust a lot of responsibility to them, they can rise to that occasion. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that makes sense. But a lot of churches, we don't tell people what we expect of them, and we really don't because of that entrust a lot of responsibility to them, and then everything comes back on the pastor, the preacher, to do those things. So. What I've done is through our new membership classes, um, and, and apparently this happens in a transition, we had a lot of people who, who loved the old pastor and held off a few months to see if they would like the new pastor. Sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden, our, our membership classes are really filling up. And I go through, here's, here are the five things we expect of you as a member of the church. And it relates to our vision. It relates to things like, here's what we expect of you in terms of worship, service, giving, uh, inviting others and serving. I think that's all five. Um, and, and surprisingly, people responded well. There was one guy who told me up front, he said, I have a problem with, you know, worshiping every week because, you know, I'm retired and, and some of the best golf times are Sunday morning. <laughs> and I just said, well, I understand that, but I just want you to know our expectation of a church is that whether you're here or if you're somewhere else, find a way, a place, a different church to worship. And you know what? He is now in church. If he misses one Sunday a month, I'm surprised. But I can almost tell that for him, us setting an expectation gave him something to work towards because he was wanting to grow in his faith. Mm. And this is a man in his 70s. And uh, so it's it's really neat to see how God's working in him just because we're saying, you know, God expects something of us. Yeah. So in terms of preaching, um, I realize I want to make sure the rest of the church is on board with that idea too. I didn't create those in a vacuum. Um, so I'm going to do a sermon series that maybe doesn't go through all of those in a five-week series, but but those need to start to be worked in so long-term members can say, I agree with that, or I don't, and we can have a conversation. They can at least know where you're coming from. Yeah, they can at least know. I mean, I say these are our expectations at church, but I try to say these are my expectations as a pastor, mm-hmm. um, and I try to live up to that too. Yeah. And so what has been your primary vehicle for setting the expectations which then you will reinforce, build upon through preaching. Hmm. I'm still trying to figure out, because I was so used to a culture coming from, from well, it was downtown Orlando, where, where people were connected digitally, mm. that, that 
sharing through Facebook and those things was the primary reinforcer. And a lot of our folks were on Facebook, but they're not going to comment. Mm. I noticed that I'll show up on church and they'll be, hey, I saw you did this this week, or I saw that your pullover flowed this week. <laughs> they comment in person. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Their comment is in person. And, yeah. and at that point, I can like it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, so I realized that that's not really a, a platform for communication. Uh, we are actually still publishing a, a once a month printed newsletter, and it works. Yeah. And I keep sure. wanting to switch to digital, and I think we need to do that for a majority or, or some of the population. Um, but a lot of my writing in this church with retirees, um, they take my writings very serious. Mm. And I've had to be careful about that because I can't just draft up a quick newsletter article. Right. Um, or in response to the Syrian conflict, I wrote a piece on that. And I got feedback, both sides. And I realized that this this demographic, these folks, take writing very serious. And so if mm. the pastor issues a letter, they'll actually take a few weeks and write their own letter back. Wow. And it's amazing. Wow. Um, so, so that's been a change of I'm having to learn how they communicate. Yeah. And I guess that's what preaching is, is trying to figure out how did they hear the message? Because I can love my preaching style all day long. Sure. But if it's not sure. communicating yeah. to them, if it's not speaking to them in ways that they connect with it, yeah. she's talking to a wall. Absolutely. Yeah. The, facilitating the communication and finding the best method is so important. And, and we'll probably talk about this on a future podcast and there'll be something on my blog in the future about how there is no right way to preach. Okay. You know, there, there, are, there are lots of different ways to preach, and, and oftentimes it's what's most authentic to you. And that's actually another conversation piece we had back in the summer is that you had been working with manuscripts mm. and not using manuscripts and the language that you were using, the structure of your sermons. Have you felt there being a further – have you felt a further shift in how you've approached preaching either practically or, or sort of theoretically the general way that you mm. approach it? Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I did. I started with manuscripts, and then I got really comfortable with an outline again, and that was that was really working on a lot of levels. What I realized was my sermons didn't feel like they were connecting, and I knew it wasn't them. I, I could feel it was on me, mm. and, and I realized what I was doing was I was getting a little lazy with an outline, mm. and my outline was becoming more of what I studied, and, and the piece I was missing was I wasn't rehearsing it. Mm. I'm assuming in the audience there's people who who rehearse theirs and people who probably have strong feelings of why they don't. But for me, rehearsing the sermon, going through it a few times, is like taking the study and even the organization of my study and making it my story, mm -hmm. which allows God's story to shine through. Right. And so I just feel like I'm presenting more of an outline than I'm using that as a supplement to make sure that the story, God's story, everything that I've kind of wrapped together for that day is able to come through. Um, I still believe the Holy Spirit translates everything that comes out, but I believe that we can put ourselves in a place, I can, where it's just a little bit easier for the Holy Spirit to, to work it. Yeah. Um, so I, I've realized when I come back, I need, what I need to do is to get back into the prep of, of the rehearsal part, mm, mm -hmm. of, of getting familiar with, with the twists and terms of the sermon. Because what I've also seen is, is when it flows more clearly, people get the scripture, they get the illustrations, they get the points, and they're able to walk away with a better sense of it. So yeah. so I've got some work I need to, to do on that. Yeah. Uh, and I've jumped back and forth at times throughout the years between manuscript and outline, and sometimes, and I can't even believe I did this, like no written at all, just <laughs> just walking around talking and hoping that I remember it by the time I get up. That's crazy, man. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. I have found that when 
I have come out of a season of writing a manuscript and I go back into using an outline, I think, oh, well, I don't have to do as much work. Mm. But almost you have to do as much work or even more work than preparing a manuscript because the outline needs to reflect the full thing. Yes. I, and I think this may be what you were getting at. I get in trouble when my outline gets to the point of being just my reading notes or just that. Uh, like I, I, I get a feeling of where this is going, and I just feel like mm. in the moment I'll be able to translate what this is without doing the actual work of figuring out, no, what, what are you actually going to – not necessarily writing the specific words, mm-hmm. but – yeah, when, you're, when your outline is so vague that you get up on Sunday morning and you're like kind of freeze up or don't know where to go or, yeah. you know, like... You're, you're exactly right. For me, an outline, the finished outline cuts so much time off of the, off of the actual writing because for me, writing is the most laborious part. And, but, if, but for me, the time spent, the, the sh- what, I, what I gain back on doing an outline in terms of time almost has to be shifted over to the preparation side in terms exactly. of rehearsal mm-hmm. and telling it for me because that's how I begin to live into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let me, let me ask you too, one of the, when we, obviously you had only been there a couple of months and mm-hmm. you, you had a stated goal of getting further ahead in yes. your preparation for sermon writing. Yeah. You were only a couple weeks ahead, I think, at that point. And you had a stated goal of getting at least a year ahead. Would mm-hmm. Would you like to share the happy news with our with our audience? <laughs> I got it. I have 2016 uh, on the books in terms of sermon series, uh, basic idea, scriptures. Awesome. Which is exact. Brian. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> which is what I wanted to have on the on on the paper. Yeah. 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 How, how did you find that harder than you thought it would be? Did you find it easier than you thought it would be? And Maybe tell us about some of the the points that were the most challenging. Some of the points that that uh, were were the that came the easiest for you. I actually found it easier than I thought it would be. Um, and so what I did was I really set aside most of a week. It was a week where I wasn't preaching. Um, I was in town, and there were still responsibilities at the church to do in terms of administration. But I tried the week before to get as much as that done to block off. And when I say a week, for me, that was a Monday through a Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so what what I did was I really began, I read a lot of articles. I tried to figure out how the people approach it. And for me, the approach was to first begin in prayer, trying to discern what are the needs of this congregation. Um, like I would love to preach any any number of sermon series, but I don't know that they would actually fit the needs of this congregation. One of the things that I did was I sent out a survey uh, based off of a survey that Church of the Resurrection uses for theirs, mm-hmm. um, I put out a survey a few weeks in advance to our congregation. I got two responses. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the digital challenge. Right, right. Next year, I'll put out printed copies sure. as opposed to a beautiful Google form online. It was beautiful. You showed it to me. It was, I, yes, it, yes. It was well done. Um, but I also used other ways to ask people the same questions, um, but to look at what books of Scripture do you wrestle with uh, what things do your friends who don't go to church need to um, need to know or want to know? Um, where do you need to grow in your faith? Um, what, what places uh, do you see around the community of justice, of social needs? And so I like that survey they did because it, it cast a very broad net. And, um, and, and I began with prayer and just kind of discerned several areas that I felt we needed to deal with, um, areas that focused on who we are as a church and where we're going, um, areas hopefully of personal interest of where some of our adults um, are living in their life. Uh, and then, of course, some of the big ones like what are we going to do for Christmas? What are we going to do for Lent? What are we going to do for those things? Um, 
And the other piece of how I did that was another strategy. Again, I saw as an associate and I thought, when I'm a senior pastor, I want to do this. Right. And it was the idea of, of you take you take sermon series that, that attract others in. So in my mind, January, people are making resolutions, at least for our church and community. It seemed like we would get more visitors after Christmas mm-hmm. who were thinking about church. And so we made sure to promote that well on Christmas Eve. And we did a sermon series that would hopefully attract people into faith or back to church. And then right after that, we move into, in Lent, we'll move into a sermon series that's focused more on growing people who are there. And that's my best way at trying to figure out how you meet both sides of the coin of, of preaching messages that draw people into the faith, maybe somewhat to the neglect of those who are already there. Mm-hmm. But then switching that around and saying those who've come into the faith and those who are here, this is a time to really dig in deeper. Um, so our sermon series for Lent versus January will, mm-hmm. will hopefully feel like a shift. Sure. And I, I went through on a, on a calendar. Basically, I, I used an Excel sheet and just tried to block off which times are better for growing, which times are better for attracting, and what are the crazy Sundays that you just have to do, like Mother's Day. Right. You know. Right. Uh, that worked really well. It took me most of the week to work through those different parts. Uh, the longest part was just trying to discern. Mm. and trying to mm-hmm. resist the temptation to preach uh, something on technology that related to, to iPhones. Right, you right. Know? <laughs> something that you're interested in, but yes. would completely yeah, yeah. lose all connection. Right. What would be the breakdown between time you spend with the lectionary versus series that you designed yourself? Do you have a, a ballpark figure, or did you just was it just straight series maybe outside mm-hmm. of Lent and Advent? Well, when I first got to the church, again, the transition, I planned to start off with a strong series that I felt good about and then uh, move into a lectionary time, really to kind of take the temperature of the church. What I found was it took my own temperature. Mm. So as I sat down at the end of um, my first quarter there at the church, I do a quarterly review, I, I looked at it and I thought, I really loved preaching that series. And the lectionary, for whatever this year, just felt like it drugged me along. Mm. Like every week I felt like I was starting from scratch. I couldn't make week-to-week connections. And for me, that's really important. Sure. Uh, it, it helps me to carry the story. So I realized that going into a year, I will preach better. I'll enjoy it more. And I think that'll help um, God's Word to take its own life in the congregation in a more powerful way. Uh, if I can do things that I'm really resonating with. So... A lot of these may not be the strongest series in the year to come, mm. uh, but it helps me to know that this is the thing we're focusing on uh, in and out of season. Yeah. So there's going to be very few weeks that are really lectionary-based. Um, even our Christmas series, I wanted to do something with John and the light of the world. Um, so I don't even know if we're really looking at the lectionary this year. Okay. And for our church, I don't think that's going to upset many people. They like the seasons of the calendar more mm. than the actual texts of the calendar. Sure. yeah. A lot of series this year, but some will be more important than others, and some will be promoted higher than others. Sure. Yeah, and you that's another uh, uh, thing I wanted to ask you about, since this podcast is not just about preaching, but about communication in general. Mm. You printed up some cards uh, yeah. last fall. Was That that was for Christmas Eve or a, around the Christmas time, and you had, how did you distribute those cards, and mm-hmm. did you find it to be successful and worth the money you put into having them printed? Um, for me, the, the cost of printing is always worth it because uh, once you find a good printer and you have a good relationship with them, uh, it, it just seems like you're getting pennies hmm. for, for the opportunity mm-hmm. to get something that looks great into someone's hand. Uh, I feel like so much church stuff is, is clip-arted and, and is cheesy, mm-hmm. 
And if we can get something nice into people's hands, and that's really easy to do with sites now like Canva, mm -hmm. Canvas without the S, canva.com. It makes me feel like I'm actually a decent graphic designer. Yeah. You, you are. <laughs> Thank you. But, uh, yeah, so what we did, that's part of the strategy too, is on, on series where I want to I attract people outside the church. I want to make sure I put the resources in our people's hand mm. because they're the ones who know friends. Everyone I know goes to church. Yeah. Um, so I made sure that there's, what I'm going to figure out is for each series, what are the pieces that our people need? Mm. Um, so what we did was we made sure that they had uh, Christmas Eve invites. We did some paper ones. Uh, and we, we put up a couple of graphics that they could share as their Facebook picture. Mm. A, a couple of different ones so they mm -hmm. could pick from two or three things. Right. And they could share that invite on their wall. That worked really well. Um, I, I don't know if this is a correlation or whatever, but we had more at our Christmas Eve attendance than last year. Wow. And so I attribute that to just our people being, being more aware of, of bringing others on Christmas Eve. And what we did was we made sure that, that at the end of the service, or, or maybe it was the beginning, that I invited them back for our January sermon series. Uh, and we made sure that inside every bulletin was tucked in the, the beautifully printed yeah, card right. for that sermon series that, that really kind of hopefully triggered the places where we need fresh starts in our life in the year to come. Yeah. Um, and people seem to respond to that so far. We've... Um, of course, I've been in Israel, so <laughs> right. I'm not sure how it's going. We've got a phenomenal uh, uh, retired pastor in our, in our church who's, who's leading that while I'm away. Um, but it's connected with the community. We've been able to put it out in the signs. And so I feel like we're using a lot of the different communication strategies. Mm. And maybe honestly, I'm just trying to test out a lot of different things and see what sticks for our community. True. And I think even if they don't end up using the cards putting a tangible reminder that you expect them to invite people, yeah. there's probably value. It is. And for me, that ties back into I expect them to be people who invite others into faith, into church, into experiences like that. But we as a church have to give them some resources because mm -hmm. a lot sure. of people don't. I, sometimes I don't even know where to start with that. How yeah. do you? But a card is a neutral thing. Yeah. So. Well, jumping back to your planning of the year, um, it, it's amazing to me that you got it done in four days. Um, <laughs> it's, to me. It, it, it's, it's something that we all, and this was me when I was, I never thought I had time. Mm. Um, it did take a little bit of work ahead of time, yes. you know, getting the surveys out. Uh, and and if you, I would imagine if you can find a way to actually get people to participate with the surveys and get a good number of results, it really primes the pump for you. Yeah. Then you identified a week. Uh, maybe even set aside a Sunday where you intentionally choose not to preach. I don't mm -hmm. know whether you, you made that decision or whether that was just a, a quirk in your calendar, but at choosing to, to create space by working ahead real hard one week, choosing not to preach at the end of the other week, and you got it done in your regular office hours I did, in yes. four days. This was not you laboring at the dinner table no. all night. This I was, was still not home you. for dinner for it, family. I still made the committee meetings or whatever we had that week and yeah. still had time with family. It was a normal still week. Still had your Sabbath on Friday and... Uh, that's great. So yeah. um, you listeners out there that are saying, no, I'll never have the time. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll give it a shot. You know, the worst that can happen is you spend a week on it and you get three months, six months, nine mm -hmm. months done. I can guarantee you the, the people in your church that are relying on you for worship information are going to love you for however much you can give them. And even for yourself, really, what it does is it tells you what to keep your eye out for. Uh, over the next couple months, what yeah. illustrations should I be looking for? What mm -hmm. scripture text should I be meditating on? You know that the morning where you have your quiet time and just whatever you were gonna read 
just isn't doing it for you. Flip to something you're going to preach on in six months and see if you can start to get that going. There's that joke of, you know, a lot of us say, well, the Holy Spirit will guide me in the moment. Well, imagine what the Holy Spirit could do <laughs> with six months of time. Yeah. And so, so that's great. Well, this is a great example. I mean, I know my sermon series coming up and I know in Lent we're focusing on the Lord's Prayer and we're in Israel and I, I, I'm thinking th- there are things I'm seeing. So imagine how the Holy Spirit can work if you find yourself in a place like this and I'm able to gather content that I may not use for six more months. But it's going to be there, and it's going to be really powerful to me because of some tangible stuff. Right. And I did want to say, too, for listeners, I'm not a quick worker. Mm. Like, like I'm a very slow worker. I really think about things. I, I, can't, I can't process fast. And so I may talk fast, but I really think <laughs> slowly. So in terms of, of thinking like, well, I'm a slow processor, too. I couldn't do it. Uh, that's just where I was. I am. And uh, so that may, others may have been able to do it faster. That's great. Yeah. Well, the last thing that I wanted to touch on was you gave us a little bit of a walk through your productivity process and your mm. use of the program Nosby. And mm-hmm. of course, we included a link to a great video that you put together last oh, yeah, fall. That's right. That's right. Um, have, have you found any new tips or tricks? Have you uh, edited that uh, uh, formula in any way? Do you approach it differently or has it just uh, been, been rolling smoothly for you? Mm. Well, the first answer is... as. I build things into projects, and as a senior pastor, my list of projects in Nosby is quite a bit longer. <laughs> it's growing than yeah. it ever was. As an associate, I was typically working on a pet project or two at a time, or even three. Uh, but now there's those pet projects plus uh, these things that need to happen, and these. So it's a much fuller list than it ever was. But I don't know how I would get any of this stuff done without that. The fact of knowing that while I'm here, all that stuff. All the to-dos are still there. They're still organized. And as soon as I jump back in next week or whenever we get back, uh, I'll be able to pick up where I left off. In fact, I I plan so that all those things will show up the week I get back and I'm ready to jump back in. For me, putting projects in that are my big goals for our church this year. Our church has three big goals this year um, in terms of things we want to do, cultures that we want to tweak. Um, and what I love about this list is I've got intentional reminders each week that pop up and say, what is the next thing I need to do for this big dream? Mm-hmm. And that's really important because usually when I sit down at the end of the week and think about next week, if I don't have those reminders, what I'm going to end up doing is figuring out what committee meets next week. Okay, our, our church trustee committee, what do I want to tell them? Mm-hmm. And I'll end up kind of playing with the stuff that just is going to happen anyways. Um, but instead with that, I can think, okay, well, I know we're going this direction. What does that committee need to talk about that gets us closer to that this month? Mm. And that's still a work in progress because I'm still coming new into that system. But it's allowing me to stay focused on the big stuff because otherwise I will get lost in the minutia. Uh, right. I'll get lost in the details. So that's been not a change, but useful. Yeah, and it, it, it allows you to coordinate your committees around a bigger vision for the church, mm-hmm. have a through line uh, that, yeah. again, you'll wrap back around in, in preaching and, and small groups and your newsletter articles and all those fun ways that we get to communicate. Yeah. It seems like the more you try and link things together, the more you see other pieces that can link in, and it, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. My hunch, and I've seen it before, I'm hoping it works here too, is that as that stuff starts linking, things just start clicking. And my favorite example was I sat down with our discipleship group, and we were talking about Lent. And I hadn't even thought about, why, why don't I tell them what I'm going to preach about in Lent? And our chair came to me and said, um, I want to do a, a study on the Lord's Prayer. And I said, oh, wow. that's what I'm preaching on. 
and I realized in that moment the Holy Spirit was making up for a to-do that I didn't to-do. Wow. Um, and, and I got to thinking, this is going to be so exciting to think. We're talking about it in worship, but we're also really taking another intentional step in terms of inviting people into these small groups mm-hmm. to talk about it in a much deeper personal way. Yeah. And uh, that's second nature for a lot of churches, but for a lot of churches, that's that kind of tie-in needs to be built. Right. Yeah. You know, and that kind of disconnect can really dissipate a lot of energy. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. People really going in all kinds of directions. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much for uh, your time here. It's been fun to get to spend a couple days, and we've got a, almost a full week left here in Israel. And, uh, yeah. Brian, thanks for your wisdom and sharing with the audience. Thanks. Appreciate it. Well, that's going to do it for episode 10 of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. And I'd like to remind you, if you would please let me know what has been the most meaningful thing for you in the first 10 episodes of our podcast, whether it was a guest or a quote or a concept or a question, I would love to hear from you. You can leave comments on the show notes or connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Our next episode will go live on March 3rd, 2016. So thank you so much for joining me for the first 10 episodes. I look forward to many more and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.